Loading Erica's podcast. Five, four, three, two, one. Live from New York City, it's the Erica Finn Show. And your host who gets up close and personal with celebrities from the stage and beyond, Erica Finn. Hi, everyone. Welcome to tonight's show. Uh, Tonight I am here with Katie Bowick, who is currently making her Broadway debut as the voice of Wendla in Deaf West Theater's production of Spring Awakening. Katie, hi. Hi, how are you? I am good. How are you doing? Doing all right, doing all right. It's a Friday night on Broadway, so um, just uh, get ready for that. <laughs> Absolutely, right? And I uh, I was there last night. I saw the show last night, and oh, my God. First of all, I mean, what a production. I'd never seen a Deaf West um, production before, and it is just such a unique experience. And your voice is just unbelievable. Like it's such a beautiful voice, but also like the emotion that you put you put into it that is like felt through your voice is just. I loved it. It gave me chills. Have you? Oh, um, thank you, thank you. Had you been to a Deaf West production before uh, becoming a part of this? Never, ever in my life. Um, never. I knew of it um, just because I studied at UCLA, so I knew that it was an LA-based company. But um, no, never had scene production or um, ever thought that I would ever be a part of, of that first production. So, Yeah, and so it was, you know, you, of course, played the voice of Wendla, and then we have um, Sandra Mae Frank, who's playing Wendla, and um, she's deaf, and she's showing all the, doing all the actions and, and doing sign language at the same time, and then you are there, too, and it's like... It's such a cool thing because it's almost like you're an extension of her, and I, you know, I couldn't help but think when I was watching that, like, and, and you're such in perfect sync too. It was amazing to me, like, how synced up you are, considering she can't hear you, obviously. <laughs> um, was achieving that synchronicity was that difficult? Um, initially, yes, but not as much as you would think. Um, partially just due to Sandra and and you know the wonderful actress that she is, but um. Certainly in the beginning, I mean, because the length of, you know, the actual line, um, the phrase or whatever, and then how long it takes to say that in sign language, in American Sign Language, because it's not it's not verbatim word for word. So there's certainly a few instances where we've had to, um, you know, just really carefully work out the timing just to make sure that, you know, I wasn't continuing on with my line after she had already finished her thought or vice versa. Um, and that just was due to the translation, the ASL translation. Um, so, they, you know, they have more wiggle room than I do. I, you know, I'm required to, you know, say the line as it is. And um, so it, it did take a, a lot of work in the initial run of the show, our, our initial rehearsal period, to kind of just make sure that everything kind of matched up. And, and that was really where we started to see what a cool effect it could be if if we were really in the scene together. Um so, yeah, yeah, what were rehearsals like? like? How do you rehearse for something like this? You know, they're 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 difficult. Um, they're exciting. They're fun. I mean, you know, we have a translator in the room um, for every rehearsal, uh, an interpreter, and um, they are just as much a part of the process as as the actors because you know they are the conduit between um, the hearing actor and the voice and the and and the deaf actor, and so 
um, it was really crucial that we had interpreters that, um, you know, were just really amazing at what they did and were able to communicate the conceptual ideas that the director had. Um, although Michael Arden is is fluent in sign, but, you know, for example, the choreographer in the beginning didn't know any sign and none of the hearing actors did either, um, with the exception of Austin. So, um, yeah, I mean, it takes, everything takes a little bit longer because you have to, you just have to be really patient and and it sort of forces you to get down to the bare bones of exactly what it is you are trying to say. Um, and, you know, but other than, you know, just the initial sort of fear of getting lost in translation, I found it to be an incredible way to work. And it's just amazing, like, you know, even just um, when the cast has to, is doing, like, dance moves and they're, you know, not hearing the music. And so is that all, is there someone, are they, is there something like a screen or something that they can take a look at or is it all just from memory and just memorizing, like, kind of the beat of when to start? It's completely um, memorizing the beat. Um, yeah, in terms of choreography, you know, the luxuries that you might have um, in an all-hearing cast of just saying, you know, let's go back eight eight counts, you don't necessarily have that ability to do that. So oftentimes it becomes easier to go back to the beginning and just sort of do everything that you know until you learn something new and then go back and do everything until the next new part. Um, so it is it is about memory and it is about timing and it is about feeling the rhythm more than it is, you know, associating it with a particular uh, you know, quality of sound or whatever. So definitely, like, um, I remember the first rehearsal that we had in our original 99-seat theater, Michael had the drummer come in because um, we didn't have the privilege of having the full drum kit in our first rehearsal space. And so when we finally got into tech to the theater, we had the full drum kit and we were able to utilize that feeling of, of vibration um, for the whole cast. And I remember that was a really special moment for us to just take the space with a single, you know, drum beat and and recognize that now we had this new uh, ability to, you know, to really rely on our feelings, um, you know, the vibration, the feeling, the feeling of the beat. Um, and many of the deaf cast have amazing sense of, you know, time and rhythm. And Sandra, for example, has impeccable timing. And um, I'm just consistently, like, blown away by, by her rhythm and, and you know, musical sensibility, really. Have, did you pick up any sign language? Can you read sign language at all now from, from seeing yeah. it so much? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I because I play guitar, I haven't really had the opportunity to learn, you know, from the translations from the show. But definitely after, you know, the first run of the show and we knew it was continuing and it was like, okay, I'm going to – I'm about to have spent a year of my life, you know, with this with this company and it just became imperative to connecting with the cast beyond hi, how are you, you know, you you get to a point where you're like, that's really that's not really cutting it anymore and I wanna know more. I wanna be able to dig deeper and tell them more about myself and learn more about them. And so it really became you know, a sense of importance in, in terms of how we were connecting to our deaf cast members, like a lot of the hearing cast did take it upon themselves to just really, really try to learn and ask questions. You know, I knew the, I knew the alphabet. And so I would, in terms of learning new, new vocabulary words, which is literally spelling out the word that I didn't know and 
you know, with my fingers. And then amazingly, you know, the, the deaf cast has been so patient with us and they're really wonderful about teaching us the signs and, um, you know, correcting us if we confuse something. So it's been a really cool experience for the hearing cats because we really have had to, you know, to learn a new language for sure. Does does Sandra or any else um, from Deaf West do they do they read lips at all? Are they able to do that? Yes, they do. Um, mm-hmm. And that's something that I learned too throughout the process is just the the nuances of the deaf community and there are varying degrees, you know, of of hearing loss and um, some are really wonderful at reading lips, some aren't. So um, Sandra, you know, sometimes I, I tell people I forget that she's deaf because she's so vocal and so um, so outspoken and and really she really is good at reading lips. And so our communication has been, you know, some <laughs> hodgepodge of what I've, you know, been able to communicate through sign and what she's been able to glean from just reading my lips. And I know that she really relies on my breast. Um, patterns throughout the show when whenever I, you know, I'm starting a new phrase, she really pays a lot of close attention to when I'm breathing because, you know, from a peripheral perspective without her, you know, looking right at me, the breath is really important, I know, for her in terms of knowing when the end of a phrase is and when the beginning of the next phrase is. So, yeah. Um, and also, I mean, we, we have to mention, I mean, we have Marley Matlin in the cast as well, which is so cool. Uh, what's yeah. it been like uh, working with her? Um, I mean, it's been amazing. You know, she has been a beacon for the deaf community, probably the most famous deaf person in the world. And, um, you know, Absolutely. so I know I know for the deaf cast, it's been just like, oh, my God, how did we end up in, in this situation working with, you know, someone who has been such a critical person in paving the way for opportunities for deaf actors. But, I mean, <laughs> for the hearing cast, too, I mean, we, we feel so lucky to have her, and she's she's just been wonderful. Her and Cameron Manheim both have been such amazing mother figures in the cast for us, and just uh, it's been a real joy, for sure, to work with her and, and Cameron. The show, of course, it's about, you know, teenage angst and the discovery of sexuality and, um, uh, you know, I was wondering, like, do you relate to Wenzel at that age, or what part of you does relate to her or doesn't relate to her? I do relate to her. Um, she's inquisitive. You know, she's – I I was really, you know it, – it was fun to go back and sort of relive all the feelings of adolescence. Um, and certainly she – her and I were, you know, were similar in that we really did want answers and – really wouldn't wasn't comfortable just with, you know, accepting the the easy answer from parents. And so, um yeah, I I do relate to her. I relate to a couple of the characters, her and, and to Marta and, you know, I think I think the whole spectrum of of you know, the struggle of growing up is is covered in these characters and more to do and Melchior and I think that each character's sort of individual struggle, um has a little something I think for everybody to kind of relate to in terms of adolescence. And what I love about this particular version is, you know, the struggle of the 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 death narrative, like really I think like grounds the angst. It's not just like, you know, for for no reason and and I really enjoy that that's like part of the story that we're telling in this direction too. And now you just got back, it's all over the news, you just got back from performing at the White House. 
Yes. How cool. <laughs> it was. What was that like? Um, this was an amazing honor. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, we just have been blown away by some of the opportunities that this production has, has opened up for us. Um, it was for, it was a convening on disabilities and the arts in terms of focusing on employment. And so we had the opportunity to perform and um, engage with a, a, a panel of people who are actually you know, really making waves um, in terms of the opportunities that they're providing for people with disabilities uh, in the workforce. And so, I mean, aside from the fact that it was just like a really amazing, cool opportunity to go and perform at the White House, it really was uh, for a great, uh, a great reason. And I think this show is really serving to kind of open up the door to a lot of great conversations about, um, you know, what, people who are, you know, perceived as having a disability can can do, certainly in, in the arts. I mean, we have Ali Stroker, too, who's the first person um, in a wheelchair to be on Broadway. And so this has been, I think, a really great vehicle for a lot of, for a lot of artists. Where, so where in the White House were you exactly? We were in, like, the conference room where, uh, you know, whenever the president gives a a uh, press, uh, you know, a press conference um, with you know the blue <laughs> curtain and the screen, and so it was like it felt very much like not to quote another show, but the room where it happens. You know, a lot of it was very, uh, <laughs> very, uh, it was really cool to be like here we are in in this in this kind of historical uh, historical room. That was cool. What uh, and it was was it a full production of the entire show or did you pick? Scenes? No, yeah, we we just did select numbers. So um, we did the the first song and scene, the first two songs in the scene with Vendla uh, and her mother, and then we did Touch Me, and then we did Purple Summer, and we did a workshop on the the uh, signs of Purple Summer, and sort of did a brief uh, tutorial on some of those signs and stuff. So yeah, oh, it was beautiful. Yeah, oh, that sounds it was really cool. cool. Um, so you mentioned earlier you went to UCLA. I know you went to their, you graduated from their theater, film, and television program, mm-hmm. and you won the spring sing competition three years in a row. I did, yes, I did. <laughs> was that a defining <laughs> moment for you, or was it at least a sign of like, you know what, I am going in the right direction, you know, like any doubts I have, you know, I shouldn't have them. Like, how did, you know, winning it three times in a row, I mean, that's huge. Um, had that even been done before? Uh, no, I think it was some sort of record, I think. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, people in the arts, we we are sort of big fish in the small pond in our own communities, and we get this feeling of, like, yes, you know, I'm, I'm good, I can do this. And then, you know, we get that sort of validation from our communities, and then we go to a college or, you know, an arts program where um, – everyone, you know, who was that person in their community is suddenly there and you're like, you know, I remember feeling very like, oh no, you know, like a lot of the confidence that I had had, you know, in my, in my, you know, teenage years was definitely, I had to confront, you know, a lot of things. And I think that's, that's a pretty universal feeling that I think a lot of theater students feel or anyone, you know, who goes to kind of take the next step in their career and their like, wow, there's a lot of amazing talent out there. Um, and, you know, certainly at UCLA, the freshman experience is, is hard because you don't really get a performance opportunity. They really focus on learning about the other aspects of 
of the theater that first year. And so you're sort of chomping at the bit to, like, get on stage. And they're like, hold your horses, you know, not yet. Um, and so Spring Thing, which was is a tradition at UCLA that's been, you know, at the school for years and years, was sort of an opportunity for me to get on stage outside of the theater department. And um, it celebrates, um, you know, original music from solo artists and duos and bands and um and they have you know they they let you perform in poly pavilion and it's like a 10,000 person crowd and i mean i had never performed in front of anybody in a crowd that big and so that was really it was a defining moment i think for me to feel all at once like i'm a i'm in a huge you know in a huge ocean now of people and 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 then to get on stage and, you know, sing an original song and have, you know, and be able to say, like, I won. And then, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was a cool moment for me and certainly a way for me to feel, um, you know, some sort of affirmation about my own my own songwriting and stuff. It was, it was a great feeling. And, you know, I was a, I was an, am a big fan of Sarah Bareilles and she also intended UCLA and, and had done Spring Sing. And so it felt really cool to, um, feel like wow you know this is this is a something that she did and um and i mean now she's you know she's writing a musical and it's got to be on broadway at the brooks Atkinson. you know it's just really funny how how people that we admire you know it feels really good to be able to say like wow i i can take similar steps and and um <clears throat> so yeah i you know looking back at my time at ucla it was full of ups and downs, but I certainly feel like I I was able to engage in a lot of the opportunities that they provided, and um, that was, like, where my, a lot of my initial fan base came from, it was just from my, my peers at school who, who heard me at Spring Sings. I just had someone come to see your show here um, in New York that was like, I loved you at Spring Sing, and I've been following you since then, and so, oh, yeah, wow. it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, and you and you have some beautiful music um, that people can find online. How would you describe your your music? What's your sound in your own um, words? I sort of say it's like a like soul folk, like a sort of combination of like folk music with like a little bit of a kind of an R and B soul uh, soul influence. I mean, I, I grew up listening to country music, so I don't know where. It's, any sort of like R and B soulful influence came from other than that I just enjoyed playing around with like riffing and and using my voice in cool ways. Um, but it's certainly like an acoustic you know acoustic guitar driven folky folky kind of style. So yeah, where did the inspiration for your lyrics come from? Um, you know, I I pretty much just draw from from real life, um, you know, as a as a teenager before, you know, people would always joke, like, where is all this coming from, you know, like, what really have you been through to write about all this? But I think almost, you know, as children, we have, like, I think a more pure imagination than we do even as adults sometimes. And so um, as I've gotten older, it's been almost more difficult for me to channel my my sort of adult thoughts than it was, you know, my creative sort of more childish ones. But, um, yeah, really. Oh, that's so and... interesting. Do you think it's like maybe, do you, I feel like as adults we second-guess ourselves more. You know, as kids oh, we just totally. like do, you know, and yeah, I wonder well, if that's part of it. 
I absolutely agree with that. I think, like, as adults, we start to get a little more in our head about, you know, what do, what do people think? And for some reason, kids don't really seem as concerned about that. And so I try to just, like, go back to those feelings of, like, really just kind of writing what you felt in, in the purest way. And um, that's sort of what I'm trying to focus on now in my writing, um, just kind of getting back to what's that, like, you know, that initial spark of inspiration. And, and usually it's the first thing that comes to mind that you wind up back at again, you know, after you've brainstormed a million other things too. That I think there's something to be said for that initial, like, you know, uh, spark of thought or whatever. And um, So, yeah, I mean, it's a combination of, of real life. And then, you know, um, I think oftentimes in art, you know, in order to... Um, create something as dynamic as possible, you know, we do it, we expand, we, we, you know, build on the truth and, and just kind of create the best thing, the best piece of art, you know, that, that we can. Do, oh, I don't know, are you single or married or? Um, I am engaged. I have a, I have oh. a family who's a, a musician as well. Um, yeah, we, uh, we met at a bluegrass festival a couple of years ago and, um, he's here with me in New York and we write together and, and play music. And, um, he's actually like a huge part of, um, you know, my growth as a guitarist along with, with this show. I mean, I don't think anyone who sees this show, you know, will see like that, that's a large part of what I do with the show is is playing you know playing the guitar as part of the band, as well. Um, so uh, I'm really thankful that I've you know been able to use that skill and and that it's brought me you know this far in terms of you know being able to play my guitar on Broadway. I, that was something I never really thought would be you know some, that would be the way that I would you know see this sort of Broadway dream fulfilled. So I'm really sort of grateful for that too. Yeah, I had asked the question too because I was thinking, oh, I wonder if she's ever Taylor Swifted anyone. <laughs> <laughs> Written a song about them uh, after they broke my heart. Is that what you mean? By yeah, Taylor yeah, Swifted? yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's the best revenge. So I can relate to her in that way. I know she got a lot of flack for that, but um, you know, I mean, I think that's she's not the first person to have done that. So, um. Absolutely, how I say what half the music in the world is about, right? Like, I mean, there's nothing like a broken heart. Yeah, so. absolutely. And you know, it feels good to to channel it, you know, into some form of. And it doesn't have to be me, you know. I think that she got a lot of like, you know, flack for writing scathing, you know, scathing songs about these boys who had broken her heart. But I mean, that's truly the best way to to deal, I think, with uh, with heartbreak is, you know, to be able to channel it into some sort of creative creative outlet so for sure <laughs> definitely I can relate to that now you have an acoustic rendition I was reading about this earlier today of Ave Maria that was in the final season of HBO's newsroom how yeah. cool and I, I watched <laughs> it online and it's first of all it's like the most beautiful rendition I've ever heard but I'm already oh. obsessed with your voice anyways um, <laughs> I really do think you have an amazing voice um, I was curious how that came about yeah it's actually a really cool story um I I was just sort of, you know, hanging out in L.A., doing my stuff, teaching and, you know, auditioning and playing shows. And um, one of my really amazing, one of my best friends is a girl named Nicolette Robinson, um, who is an actress and a singer. Um, she's been on The Affair, and she's currently in an invisible thread at Second Stage 
here in New York. Um, and her husband is Leslie Odom Jr., who is in um, Hamilton right now playing Aaron Burr. Anyway, they've, they've been good friends of mine. Um, oh, wow. Sang, sang at their wedding. Um, I, I met her, you know, the, the first day we auditioned for the UCLA theater program. We were singing the same song, and, you know, she's just my one of my part of my soul family, my, you know, one of my best friends. And, um, you know, really, uh, it was just a recommendation. Um, Anthony Hamilton, who was the director of the episode of um, of Newsroom, he had worked with Leslie on a film called Red Tails, and so he just reached out to Leslie like, "Hey, I'm looking for a, I'm looking for a female vocalist, you know, um, he an opera singer to sing Ave Maria in an episode." And Leslie was like, "Well, I'm going to give you one name, and you know, she's going to reach out to you, and uh, you should you should check her out." So you know, I'm not an opera singer, but Leslie called me and was like, "Okay." You need to, like, record Ave Maria and send it to him right now or, like, call him right now. Just, like, get ready because you need to do this. And so I was, like, freaking out because I had never sung Ave Maria and was, like, I, you know, I knew it as just, like, you know, like a Catholic opera song, basically. And, like, right. I, I I looked online and I came up with a bunch, you know, I, I looked at all the various versions that were out there, Um you know, Andrea Vitelli and Maria Callas and, you know, Charlotte Church, all these crazy versions. And then I came across a, uh, a Joan Baez version, which I was immediately drawn to just because I, I love Joan Baez and I love folk music. And anyway, she had sort of a really neat version that was in German that I sort of used as my launching point in terms of my own arrangement. And then I actually sat on Skype with Joseph, my fiancé, and we worked out the chords. Um because he was in Florida at the time, we were long distance, and I had come up, you know, because it's kind of a difficult song. It's a, some interesting chords, and it's, you know, not super straightforward. So I we had worked out the arrangement. I put it in a key that I felt was me and comfortable, and really my goal was, like, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to sing this better than Maria Callas. You know, I'm just going to do this. Like, if this was Katie Bogue singing, you know, singing Ave Maria for my own enjoyment, and I just sent a voice memo of it to Anthony Hamilton, and he was like, oh, my gosh, I love it. I'm going to send it to Aaron Sorkin. But he sent it to Aaron Sorkin, and it immediately got approval. And a couple of days later, wow. I went to the studio and recorded it with Jeff Steele, who's a, an amazing uh, TV and film composer. Just did it at his house. Um, and then the next time I heard it was when we were when we went to film the scene, and it was just you know being played back, and then... We literally did two takes because um, it was like a montage scene, and and I was like scared out of my mind. It was like you know the first real onset uh, you know experience I had, and Jeff Daniels is there, and the whole basically the whole cast was there, and I've I've already seen the show. You know I had watched um, the first you know two seasons, so I was like kind of internally like freaking out, and then um, <laughs> and then waited. I waited you know about six months for it to air. And I remember I was in Florida with Joe, you know, I knew it was going to air and I was really nervous because I was like, God, I, I just sang this song like a pop singer or like a folk singer. Like I did not, I, I hope I don't get, you know, any backlash from, you know, the viewers about, you know, just sort of doing it in this really understated way, just me and my acoustic guitar. And like, that was the other thing too, was I got to, I basically, 
you know, changed their vision of what they wanted, and I got to bring, you know, my guitar on set with me and play, and that was never something that they had originally envisioned either. So I was so relieved when um, it, you know, I got texts coming in and tweets coming in being like, oh, this beautiful arrangement of, um, of you know, Ave Maria. So I, I was really happy that people were were seeming to like it. And so you said there I were only some, two takes? Only two takes? Two takes. Yeah, two takes. Wow. So, yeah, so it was cool. And, and actually the original version was only, um, I did like two minutes of the song, and in the in the montage, like in the scene, it was like a six minute thing. They they sort of looped my track, and um, I mean it went on for like six minutes. So it was an amazing thing. It was an amazing placement. Um, and I mean, I just got so many messages from people, like from Korea and Russia and London, and and I mean everywhere. People were flooding my my SoundCloud with um, you know messages about you know, what they, you know, I had a lot of people be like, I don't know why, but I just started crying. And so I, I was really, that was another moment of like feeling really affirmed, like, wow, I, I trusted myself and just like, you know, it was a lesson in like, just do what you do and, and that will carry you, that'll carry you, you know, so. Yeah, definitely. Your unique, your uniqueness is what makes you and everyone else beautiful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. If there was one thing you could tell your fifteen year fifteen year old self, what would it be? <laughs> I think it would just be to relax and just be patient. Like, uh, you know, it's funny that you mentioned Taylor Swift because that was always sort of like what I wanted to be. Like, I always thought, you know, I was writing songs when I was ten, eleven, twelve, and it was, you know, heartbreak songs, and you know, I had my own version of teardrops on my guitar and. You know, I always imagined, like, that would be my career. And then, you know, I got to be, like, 16, 17, 18, 19. I went to school and was like, you know, I think my journey is going to be different. And so if I could go back and just tell myself that, like, not to worry that, you know, I I had my own my own path, my own journey. And I actually am really thankful that I was not, like, you know, growing up in front of, millions of people. I mean, she's done a really beautiful job, but um, I don't know that I would have been as, <laughs> as graceful. So I'm thankful that. Yeah, you I got have. to have a normal childhood. I mean, there's something to be said for Absolutely. that for sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm actually, I grew up with Zac Efron. We're good friends and, you know, having, you know, seen his whole explosion into the public eye too, I mean, I really, really am grateful for even not, even not just my childhood, but like my early 20s, you know, like I'm 27 now, so I mean, it's. Uh, I'm really grateful that I had those years. I mean, I got to travel to India when I was 23, and um, I that was my first big music gig after college, and you know. Oh, that's that right. You the, were in a. You traveled all over India in an all-girls group. Was that that's just right. crazy? Yeah, that was, was that just crazy? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what I mean. Just having an experience like it was completely crazy and like totally unsafe at times too. I mean, like we did not even know what we were doing and. I mean, that that I I cherish forever. One of my one of the girls who was with me was just at the show last night, and um, you know I learned a lot. That was like touring boot camp, you know, touring in this country that we we basically were performing like American pop songs for uh, you know Indian weddings, like really elaborate Indian weddings that you know go on for like four or five days, and they would like just spend exorbitant amounts of money to have us 
sing like four songs at their wedding and and then like the next like group of like fire dancers would get on after us and we were just you know (laughs) it was just a wild experience but you know I'm really grateful for it and and you know if I was you know doing if if my if my path had been otherwise that's not something I would have you know had the chance to do and memories I wouldn't have been able to make and so yeah I mean if I could go back I would just say just trust it you know as long as you put one foot in front of the other and like you're working towards a goal like it's inevitable that you will get somewhere. It just, it might not be on your, you know, the timing that you want it to be, but, like, you will get somewhere and, and you know, all those things, like you said, focusing on what your strengths are and what the things that make you unique. Um, yeah, I mean, those are all the things that, that will eventually be the things that I think do get you seen and heard. Um, so, on the flip side, yeah. where do you see yourself five years from now? Um, you know, I don't know. I'd really love to make another album. I've been writing quite a bit. So um, while I'd love to have a continued career on Broadway, I would also really love to just have, like, a really uh, strong, like, touring touring career, like, um, and, you know, venturing further into, like, the music placement world and um, continuing to write. And, you know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even mind venturing into the, writing a musical world like all of Cerebrellis, you know, I think it's really amazing that, um, you know, the Broadway community is, like, more open-minded to um, composers that are, you know, with pop sensibilities or folk sensibilities. Like, I mean, Duncan Sheik's a great example of someone who transitioned from a successful recording career into a, you know, a career writing musicals on Broadway. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I sort of like, like, a lot of people have asked me, like, well, you know, are you going to do theater or are you going to do music? And that was always a big question that, you know, agents and people early on had for me. And I was sort of like, I don't really feel like I need to define. I don't need to pick one way or the other. Like, I am this artist. I am this person who, yes, I play guitar. Yes, I write songs. Yes, I act. And, and like, I don't really see the need to, uh, like, put some barrier between the two because more and more there's musicians on Broadway with Once or, um, you know, this show. And I just think, like, why not, if you can, as many things as you can do, like, just just do it and, you know, create I agree. your own story. I feel like, yeah, I, yeah. I think society's come a far way, in the, even in the past, like, 10 years with that. I think, like, your label can be 10 different things. You don't have to choose just one. Right. And you shouldn't. Right. I mean, share yeah, your voice with everyone. Absolutely. Seriously. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel really lucky. Like, you know, I, I've, I've been able to create and reach, our cast has been able to reach, you know, so many amazing, like, young, uh, young minds, you know, through this show and, like, my, you know, in in a perfect world, those would be people that I'd be able to connect with, like, um, you know, with my music, too. And as, you know, over the next few years, those people will go from being teenagers to adults. And I just think, like, it's an amazing opportunity for us all to kind of, you know, connect with, like, a a young generation. So I'm grateful for that. I don't know that I had I don't know that I had that reach, you know, just in my music alone. So I'm, I'm really excited to see, you know, what this show does for every single cast member. I mean, I'm not the only person in our cast that writes songs. I mean, and who are interested in in careers outside of the theater. So it's pretty cool that we're all getting a chance to kind of have this really amazing opportunity for exposure and, and stuff. So 
And on that note, we're going to play a little game. It's called Speed Through, and I'm going to rapid-fire 10 questions at you, and we'll see how quickly we can get through them. Okay. Cool. Are you ready? I am ready. <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> Morning person or night owl? Night owl. Mm-hmm. What did you have for breakfast today? Oh, I had an egg sandwich, <laughs> like every New Yorker. <laughs> <laughs> Biggest pet peeve? Um, being fake. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on that one. Three things you can't live without? Uh, my guitar. Um... Oh, 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 my toothbrush, and um, <laughs> oh God, probably my phone, which is annoying. <laughs> <laughs> if you had a betta fish, what would you name him? Um, betta fish would say our cat has one. Um, I'd probably name him Carl. <laughs> Carl. <laughs> New York City or L.A.? Ooh, New York City. Jimmy Fallon or Jimmy Kimmel? Oh, I'm going to say Jimmy Kimmel. Me too. If you were going to dinner at Sandra Mae Frank's house, what would you bring? I'd bring something sweet, like a, like a, some sort of pie, like a lemon meringue pie. One word that sums up your experience in Spring Awakening? Um, joy. One way you live life to the fullest every day? One word. One way you live what life to the One fullest. One way I live life to the fullest every day. Um, smiling, having a positive attitude. Oh, that is ten questions. Let's see see how you did. Twenty five seven. I have to do my math here. A minute forty seconds. That's good. That's good. You beat out some okay. people. So so we'll okay. take that. We'll take, <laughs> we'll take that. Katie, thank you so much for being with me. This is really great. Really thank fun you for getting me. to know you. Yes. Go see Katie in Spring Awakening, currently playing on Broadway at the Brooks Atkinson Theater, now through January 24th. Good night, everyone. We will see you all next week. You have been listening to The Erica Finn Show. We would love to hear from you. Contact the show with any guest requests or comments at Show at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter. 